So Satish, wow, this episode with Antonella was absolutely amazing. You know, the wisdom that came from her and I love some of the things that resonated with me and I think is lessons for everyone is things like people are the money. We are so focused on product and service and things like that. But in this new ecosystem that we're working in, people are the money. And the other thing that also loved on the conversation was this concept of mental hygiene. You know, when Antonella mentioned that every day we take a shower, we look after ourselves physically, but how much time do we actually invest in our mental hygiene? And we need to put a time, put aside the time to actually go and focus on it. And, and the idea of she sets herself the daily objectives and then has the retrospective at the end of the day to see how she performed against it. I think those are such valuable lessons and life-changing lessons that if we implement on a daily basis, we'll start reaping the uh, rewards. A great episode. I'm sure our listeners are going to find so much value in this conversation with Antonella. So for everyone out there, enjoy the show, subscribe, comment, like. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Kloppers, and my good friend, Satish Barber. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Antonella, welcome to our podcast. Really looking forward to our conversation this afternoon. We start off deep right from the outset. So, I mean, you are a serial founder, you are a speaker, you are an author, you're a mentor. There's just so much to you as a person. And I'm curious to understand where does that drive come from? Where was that instilled? You know, so give us a little bit of your backstory before we start talking about your business. Okay, so let me introduce myself. My name is Antonella Satiru. My nickname is Tonto, like the GPS, because I provide guidelines. I provide the way for people. So that's why I always do this joke. And so I am a very intense person. I love to travel. I love to know different cultures. I love to read about different things. I was recently diagnosed with uh, hyperactivity. So I have lived with that throughout all of my life, but only last year I was diagnosed. So now I understand a little bit more about, about myself, about my behaviors. And I always say that I'm going out of the closet right now at this moment, sharing with people because I realize that when we share our lessons learned, people can use those lessons to put in their lives. And it also creates connectivity, rapport, because so many people have are neurodivergent. So many people are neuroatypical and sometimes they don't even know because there's not information about that. Sometimes in the schools, in the universities, teachers, they are not equipped with the tools to identify and help people with this diagnosis. So I think it's uh, very important to always share that because we always need to invest in self-knowledge. We always need to invest in ourselves. Like that's the most profitable company that we have in our life. Ooh, I like that. The most profitable company we have is us oh man that's that is yeah. awesome now i was diagnosed with adhd informally i'm a south asian so my parents realized something is wrong with me and then they tried to pretty much beat it out of me and i was like wait i don't understand how i could be any different than who i am but later in life once i discovered entrepreneurship everything that was wrong was actually my superpower and yeah. then I was like, ooh. So know. it's not wrong. Right? It's so, not the wrong. It's right. <laughs> right. So, so did you have a moment where as a young Antonella trying to understand the world when you're hyperactive or ADHD or superpower, and then you're like, I don't understand why people don't understand me. Then at some point it's like, ooh, 
this is my superpower. Is there a moment or something that happened where it changed the perspective for you? Yes, but it happened very late because, for example, in school, in the university. So I was graduated in two courses in the university. So I was studying foreign affairs in the morning, uh, tourism at night. And after that, I did two MBAs at the same time. And, I, and people didn't understand how I could do all of that, how I could like balance a lot of plates at the same time. And I always felt like a stranger in the nest. I was always the black sheep. And that became very evident when I joined a multinational company that I worked for 13 years. And when I became a leader, People didn't understand how I could deal with new, multiple priorities. And for me, that was normal. But one of the feedbacks I received was that I didn't have focus because people usually they focused on two or three projects. Then I was working in five, six projects. And I was like questioning the system because the company based everything on meritocracy. So if everything was based in the meritocracy, why doing so many things was bad? So for me, it was a deep dive in the self-knowledge and to understand that I was different because for a long period, I thought that I was dumb. I thought that I was stupid. Why was I doing so many things? And then one of my great mentors, an incredible woman, she asked me a question that changed everything for me and changed the perspective that it was like, why are you giving 300% of your effort, of your time to a company that sometimes is not valuing everything that you are bringing, all the innovation, all the new systems, all the hackathons and everything? Why don't you start doing uh, some activities outside the company? on your personal brand, right? So you can feel that you are successful and that you are appreciated outside the company. Because inside the company, let's say many, many years ago, like doing things, doing lectures, doing courses or workshops was something that wasn't pleasant for them. They didn't view that as something good. So I started doing that when no one was doing. Today, everyone is doing things outside the company and it's normal, it's usual. But at that time, it wasn't. So I was always doing things before people and learning the lessons to tell the stories. And that's why today I am a storyteller. <laughs> I'm just curious, Anthony, so... And then uh, thank you for sharing that as well, Satish, that you ADHD. I mean, my son is ADHD, right? And I know that we went through quite a difficult time at the school because he battled to focus. And a consequence was teacher, teachers would label him as a troublemaker or they would label him as a difficult child and things like that because they didn't know how to deal with it. And we were constantly pulled into um, sessions at the school where they would complain about his behavior, et cetera. And one of the things that I found was that actually knocked his confidence. And today he still battles with uh, self-esteem and things like that because he wasn't understood. So I guess my question then is, was it a similar type of experience for yourself? And how were you able to actually bolster your confidence and get over the insecurities that this type of labeling causes in your life? Awesome question. I went through the same. So I had self-confidence issues, especially because with this disorder, sometimes you have some other effects in your body, right? We cannot generalize anything in life. But for example, I always had eating disorders because all the activity, all the anxiety from the hyperactivity, sometimes I was eating my feelings and eating my emotions. 
So today, né, after a lot of therapy, a lot of courses, self-knowledge journeys, I became much better. Today I eat when I'm present in the moment. I have techniques when I am anxious. I meditate a lot. I don't like to take uh, medicine, but I try natural things. So I like walking. I am a pilgrim. Always when I have the opportunity, I take long walks to think about life, to reflect. And so I'm always looking for things that help me in my well-being. So I can have, let's say, a normal life or at least what is closest to a, a more normal life. Appreciate you sharing that. And, and tell me very quickly, so, I mean, do you come from a background where your parents were entrepreneurs and they encouraged you to follow this path? Or is it that you were just, because you were different, you felt you had to do something different? Yes, that's amazing. That question is awesome because my parents, they, both of them work for the government. They retired from the government. And here in Brazil, people that have this type of career, it's very static. It's a career that's a long term and people earn very well. So my parents, they had this dream that I should work in the government as well. So they always incentivized me to do that. But I didn't want to work for the government because I wanted to build my own career. I wanted to build my own story. So as you said, I wanted to be different <laughs> because I wanted to find what makes my eyes shine, what makes me really happy, what is my purpose? So why did I come to this world and what is my mission here? So for me, the question behind the scenes was always that. So first of all, I started my career, as I mentioned to you guys in ExxonMobil. So I worked there for 13 years. I always joke that I, I joined the company almost as a, a trainee and left the company as a manager. So I was, I went through lots of departments, customer service, account receivables, uh, projects, processes. Then I went to IT. I didn't, I, I don't have a background in IT. And I started as a business analyst. After that, I became a supervisor and then a manager, leading developers, all types of languages and systems. And I always believe that we can build the path that we work in our lives. We need to have the will. We need to have uh, the commitment. And we need to build our resilience. So these are a few skills that are really necessary for us to try, right? And in the meantime, when I was working in Exxon, I also had a business. And I had a franchise of Mexican ice cream. So a few years ago, I guess it was 2013, we had here like a boom of the Mexican ice creams. And I was one of the first people that opened a franchise in this arena. It was a great experience for me to learn about entrepreneurship. But in the end, we had Brazilian crisis. It was going bad. We had the franchise in a mall here in my city, in Curitiba. And the problem was that the mall wanted us to buy a bigger store. And at the time, I didn't want to invest more. So I left the society I had with two other people. And then I said, I'm never going to have another business in my life. Because I was traumatized. I was, oh my God, we did everything we could. The business was great. And then I was, no, no business for me anymore. I don't want it. And here I am. I have a question, Antonella, as you continue to share your story, I, I feel like if I was interviewed, this will be my story too. 
It is crazy how parallel some of your narratives is. I did the same thing on my first business failed. I'm like, I'm never going to start another business again. And 25 years later, I'm still building businesses. Well, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, after I sold my agency, my, my fourth startup in 2017, I was working for somebody who bought us for a year. And until that point, I've never had a job. I've always built my own companies. And I remember talking to some of the people there who would be like, man, one day I wish I'm brave enough to do what you did and start a business. It's so scary. And I'm thinking, I'm so scared to come to this workplace. It's killing me every day to do the same thing over and over again. So I'm curious, you know, when you had your job for 13 years and then now doing your own thing, doing your own thing seems like the natural thing for you. But what are some of the things that scare you about being an entrepreneur, being on your own, that is different than working for somebody? The uncertainties. I hate uncertainties in life, like not knowing what's going to happen. Because we have this thing, right? I, I think the uh, COVID brought everybody that had a job thought that was stability, that they have stability in their lives, right? But when COVID hit us, we saw that we have no stability at all in anything. Not when we have jobs in companies because everything can change in a flash of a second. Everything can change. But we didn't have that perception. And now we do. So that makes uh, my uncertainties a little bit less worrying. But one of the things, and especially when building a business that for me brings me fear is that I have people working for me and I want to provide them the best. I want to know that I will have the revenue to be able to pay uh, their salaries in the end of the month. I want people to be happy. And sometimes as an entrepreneur, we have this, this fear and we are afraid because one day we can close a proposal that's going to provide for the entire year. But sometimes mm. we are negotiating and we don't know what's going to come next. Sometimes the customers, we close the deal, we are almost signing the contract and then it comes something that happens in the, the customer business and then it changes it all. So I guess that's the most at least for me, the most difficult part of the, of being an entrepreneur. Dion, man, what do you think? Because she's got the staff concern. You're an independent consultant. I'm on the other side trying to build a, a unicorn in education. And my stress is keeping investors happy, which is so different now. But what do you think, Dion? I guess I'm... Because I've got a small consultancy, I don't have, and I use freelancers to do a lot of my work. So I have less of a concern about staffing issues, but I guess from my perspective, it's twofold. My, my one concern is finding that next client. I'm not a natural salesperson. I shy away from social media and I know you have to build a personal brand in order to attract people and things like that. So that's one of my challenges that I have. And the second one is actually, how do I productize what I do so that I can actually turn it into a sustainable business where it's less dependent on me as the individual, and I've actually got product that I can sell on a regular basis. So those are my two biggest concerns that I have with what I do. And one of the things that we talk to founders about, especially new founders, is they have a skill set, whatever it may be. But before they can even do their sales, they got to figure out how to market themselves, find a customer, close a customer. And sales becomes this moment of fear that they can't get past. And so when you started your business and I've seen your site and it's well done and there's a hire me buttons everywhere and all the consulting services you do and the coaching, how have you built a sales attitude? What does sales mean to you? from a personal perspective. We all need money to survive in our businesses. But as, as somebody who's thinking about, you know, what is my ability to sell? What are some of the fears? How have you improved 
your ability to sell over the years? Perfect. So that's an excellent question because before I opened Human Skills Manifest, that's the edtech that we are now scaling. I had my own company and I work in both of them, uh, doing lectures, also mentorships and things like that. And I remember until I had the first big customer, it was a nightmare because I was worried. I was thinking, how am I going to survive? Did I do the right, the right choice here? Right. I could stay there in the company, having my salary every month, uh, growing in the company, being an expat. For example, it was an option. And now I decided to do that with my sleeves and go after what I wanted. So I guess uh, one of the things I always say, you can do the best sales courses, you can have the best techniques, but if you don't understand the unconscious bias that you have with selling, the best technique is not going to solve your problem. So about the fears, so the unconscious bias is very tied up with the fears that we have. The fear of not being enough, the fear of doing something that's not enough for the client, the fear of judgment. So one of the things I always say to founders or to leaders or to professionals is that we need to understand what are the fears that we have and resignify them, right? Because our mind, our brain, it always works on the negative side. Most of us work on the negative side. So we need to, we need to turn the switch. And instead of asking, what if it goes wrong? We should ask, what if it goes right? What if it works? What if I close this deal? So I guess that's one of the things that sometimes we don't realize. And most of the leaders, most of the founders don't realize when they are vibrating in the fixed mindset. And that's a key that we need to turn to vibrate in the, in the growth mindset. And that's what makes the difference. So we cannot, we, we are not going to know everything because as an entrepreneur, you need to understand about sales, marketing, writing, social media, processes, law. You need to understand about a bunch of stuff. And sometimes we're not good in all of them. I guess the mistake is that when we think that we should be great in all of them, we can learn everything, right? We can learn everything, but that doesn't mean that we'll be good in all skills. So how did we put it into action? I love the message and, you know, I try to do this with some of the coaching opportunities I have nowhere by coach. Just friends call me. I try to give a similar example, but it's for most people. It's such a, it's such a different thing to think about because when you think about like most people, they go to school for 20 years out of their life and then they go into the workforce and then they have a certain mindset and whether it's teachers making sure they don't fail. So I don't want to fail. So I better study, 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 or I don't want to get a bad report card. I, it's always coming from a position of, I don't want something bad to happen. So let me do something. And then. They hear people like you and me to go, nothing bad can happen. Think about the opposite. But it's a complete shift in approach when you've been trained for a good 20, 25 years of your life in a system that teaches you how to play defense, not offense. Now we're saying, go play offense, man. What if you can hit that jump shot? What if you can close that? People don't think like that. So how do you change? What is the one, two, three things they can do when they listen to you talk? Well, everything in life is a journey, right? We don't have a quantic uh, evolution. So we have to go step by step. So the first step that I always teach people is that every thought generates a feeling, generates an emotion and generates an attitude. So the first thing we need to do is pay attention to our thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts are very unconscious. 
but we need to pay attention in our body as well. Because we have this disconnection between our brain and our body, because no one teaches us how to do that. For example, we are used to eat so much sugar, so much salt, and we don't realize that because it's normal. The system made us understand that this is normal. And I understood that when I went to, our, to an indigenous tribe in the Amazon two years ago. I spent there 20 days without water, without meat, without taking up a sour, without any chemical products to really do a detox. And then I realized, oh my God, I have a, a huge disconnection between my brain and my body and my, uh, my, the way I taste, the way I smell. So I opened up all of my, my body and to experience new things, right? So this was one of the huge things for me. So coming back to what we were saying, understanding our thoughts and how they affect our body. For example, a very day-by-day -day example. If you have a headache, what are we used to do? We take a medicine, but we don't look at the root cause. Why am I having a headache? Is it because I'm stressed out? Because uh, I had a difficult day? So we don't act on the symptom, on the root cause, sorry. We act on the symptom because we are culturally trained for that. So understanding our brain, understanding our mind. I always give an example that we take a shower every day. At least most of the people, right? <laughs> we take a shower every day, but we don't do our mental hygiene. So if we don't do our mental hygiene, how our brain is going to be trained for something new? We need to start doing this kind of exercise and paying attention. So for example, you were asking for uh, tips and techniques. What do I do? I have a, a Trello and in my Trello every day, I put the objectives I want to focus on that day. So before I start working, I look at my objectives to be more positive, to develop my growth mindset, to develop other things I need to develop, to manage my anxiety. So I train my brain in the morning to look at the things I need to work on myself. And in the end of the day, I do a retrospective. So how was I today? What did I do good? What went well? And what could be done better? So it's a very short exercise, very fast, but I'm training my brain every day to look at the way I want for myself, for my company, for the people around me. Because we are examples and the team is always a reflex of the leader. And it doesn't matter if I have a team or not, if I lead people directly or not, but looking at my environment and developing this conscious that I can change everything around me, I am the change. I am the change. <laughs> I was just thinking, I am the change. That's going to be the motto for this episode, isn't it? I am the change. That's it. Just encapsulated this episode. So Antonella, I mean, we have been speaking for almost a half an hour now, and um, we haven't even asked you about your business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? <laughs> <laughs> It's not important. It's not important. Don't worry. We are here in a pub just having a, a nice conversation, enjoying our time. And that's the best. So life is all about this, right? We need to do things in a more light way, right? Absolutely. We need to laugh more. 
we we need to bring this joy to our business, to our startups, to the companies we work for, because this makes the heavy load so much lighter. And that's what we need, right? Because I was reading a research uh, yesterday. I was mentoring Portuguese startup and uh, they offer psychology uh, sessions for all people around Europe. And the father was telling me that in Portugal, 88% of the people are almost having burnouts. of the population, people are exhausted. So we need to bring this joy. We need to be, to laugh more because it's part of who we are and technology is taking this away from us because when we are doing meetings online, when we are talking to people online, sometimes we forget about that and we go straight to the point. Absolutely. And you know what? A lot of people don't appreciate the healing power of laughter, of lightheartedness and things like that, because it has such a positive chemical reaction on your body. Yes. And that's all in creativity and innovation. It's all about that. It's about this joy. It's about going with the flow, enjoying the little moments, the details, because that's when we have our best ideas. Right. So answering your question about human skills manifesto, uh, human skills manifesto is an editor and, uh, we teach leaders and professionals, uh, through self-knowledge, all the human skills we need to try in our businesses, in our companies. So we teach about conscious leadership, humanized leadership, collaboration. We teach about ethics, morale. Uh, we teach about proactivity, innovation, creativity, all the human skills we should be learning in schools and university and that we are not learning, at least not here in Brazil. Our culture is a little bit different. Our education system is different. So we are teaching people about this, especially for them to understand their selves, for them to have a deep dive in their own self, to understand the part of the iceberg that is below surface. Because sometimes, and most of the times, people just look what is above the surface. And that's not, that's not enough if we have, if you, we want to have a fulfilling life. And if we want to have success in our personal and professional lives. So we have a set of products and services for companies, startups, multinationals, family-owned companies. And we do customize it problems, but we also have a set of products and services. And we have our own methodology. It's called Human Build Up because we build people, and we also deconstruct everything that they believe. So that's one of our competitive advantages. And we have a lot of people, more than 60 customers that already participated in our MVPs. And many of these products and services, I also tested in my personal business. So we have more than... 300, 500 people that already tested our products. And now we are building the tech. So we are looking for investors. We are looking for partnerships to build our tech products so we can uh, scale. Very interesting. I was reading your the responses to the questions that we sent out, and you said that this business, you didn't go out and start a business. You started a group and this group actually became a business. So tell us a little bit about that, because that's quite an interesting, a very different way of setting up a business. Yes. So when I was still in Excel, when I had my first leadership role, I did a lot of courses, Franklin Covey. 
I did uh, many international courses. I went to the indigenous tribe that I mentioned to you guys. So I had uh, coaching, international coaching certifications, disc profile, but none of these trainings, none of these courses taught me how many chances I should give to a collaborator, uh, how much time I should invest in each person. When should I dismiss a person? One was the time to say, okay, now I give up, I let go. This person is not a fit for the company. So no one taught that. And people were not discussing. And when I did those questions, people look at me with different faces, right? Like, why are you asking this? Just do it. Just go ahead. Just a few people from my network, a few mentors shared their opinions and their perspectives with me. But my, my own perspective is not viewed from just one perspective. We need to understand different perspectives until we create our own. And until I say, okay, so I'm going to give three chances to a person. I'm going to give them homewards. I'm going to give them chances. I'm going to give them opportunities. And if after these three chances, they fail, okay, then I will think about how to proceed. So these were a lot of questions and doubts that I had. And so one day I had an idea uh, to unite a lot of friends of my close network. So teachers in the universities, people with PhD in the human development area, uh, startups on the education arena. So I gathered them in a coffee and to discuss what we could do, what is human development all about? Because we don't have processes in human development. So in a scale from one to 10, when we talk about skills, my scale is going to be different from your deal, and it's going to be different from your Satish, because we have different points of view. So my question was, how can we have processes that are not perfect? but that we can measure these things and that we can teach them how can we deconstruct collaboration and understand what are the steps we need to have collaboration or leadership or any kinds of skills. So we assembled this uh, study group. We had people coming and going because it was voluntary activity. It was in the middle of COVID. So only our first encounter was face-to-face. All others were online. And people were worried about their own things, about all the things that they were going through, right? The group became bigger, then it became smaller, then we have more people joining, less people joining, and forwarding the story. So this year, after a lot of time discussing, testing MVPs, testing courses, we have the humanized and conscious leadership journey. We tested with first with 20, 25 people. It was a success. And then that gave me the confidence to say, okay, I believe this can become a business. My dream that was really a dream. I just wanted people to talk about that. I just wanted people to share their own visions. And a lot of people started asking me about it. So every day I received messages in LinkedIn and WhatsApp asking me about what is Human Skills Manifesto? What do you guys do? Tell me more about it. And people were asking, asking me about our success formula. And I was, there is no success formula. We just didn't. We, we felt we were like just uh, believing in the things that we were doing. Because the people that are together with me in this journey also believed. And maybe because I am a believer. I'm a believer. Right? People will start following us but we didn't have any products. 
And that's the most amazing thing because I believe the business in the new era, because we say that uh, we, we prepare professionals and leaders for this new era, are people that are doing things from their heart, from their purpose of life, the things that w they believe and the things they are really good. Because when I became a leader, I didn't know that I was good in mentoring people. I didn't know I was good in coaching people. But people start saying, oh my God, that insight that you gave me changed my life. Uh, that thing that you taught me changed the way I lead people. You said that I should try this, experiment this, and I did, and it was a success. So gathering all of this and all of this story, for me, what comes very important is that we are living a new era. All the technology, all the ways we use it to the lungs and the things that were successful in the past are not taking us to the future. So we need to observe that and people that are in the system and that are not conscious, that don't look at the self-knowledge, they just go with the flow and they don't realize how the world is changing. We change it the way we communicate. We use it to write emails. Now the new email is WhatsApp. We have now all the social medias. It's changing all the time. So in the past, it was Facebook. Uh, now it's Instagram. In a few months, it's going to be TikTok. So everything is changing. And people don't realize how the speed is getting more and more fast. It's like the Amara law. Do you guys know the Amara law? We underestimate the power of technology, but when the technology hits, it becomes exponential. It's what happened, for example, with Netflix. Netflix had the idea they were delivering the movies through mail and they didn't have the technology, the streaming. But when they had the streaming, what happened? Netflix. Is all around the world in a speed that's so fast. And now they have lots of, they have lots of competition, Disney, HBO, whatever, Amazon. So we underestimate the power of technology in our lives and the power of artificial intelligence. But what stays the same? It's just people. Humans, the way we develop our cognitive skills to understand all the change that is around us. Sorry, spoke too much. Satish, you're on mute. Old Zoom habits, old Zoom habits. You know, you're muting it in between. And listen, this is the kind of insights we don't hear. Like when I look at LinkedIn, for example, Everybody's on a chat GPT train. Every other post is chat GPT, chat GPT. And then a few months ago, it was all metaverse, metaverse, metaverse. And there's this collective consciousness that is so, uh, what's the word, trending. And there's no uniqueness. So when chat GPT came, I could, I could see visually how everybody linked and shifted to that train. And there's no other conversation of value. And then, so we're, we're always doing this like big tanker thing. And then people like you, people like our other guests, we show up and go, ah, I know you're focusing there, man, but you also need to think about your mental health. You need to think about your business strategy. You need to think about where you're creating your own, as you said, personal hygiene versus business hygiene. Those things get ignored in this race to follow along. And um, as you were talking, I, I, I was thinking about that scene with the, you know, the thing they do in Italy, like on Spain, where you run with the bulls. Once you start running, there's no stopping. You can't all of a sudden in the middle of it and go, oh, wait, I think I want to go this way. You're just running because you're in the bulls now. And I feel like the world is so much 
of that, and especially with entrepreneurship, so much of it is run with the bulls. And especially new entrepreneurs, they get sucked into that thing and they burn out and they lose vision and they lose hope. And these are the same people that come out on the other side and go, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. There's not, I, it's for everybody, but you're running with the bulls, you know? So anyhow, that's my talking too much moment. You know, you talk like it. I was thinking while you were talking as well, you've spoken about humanized leadership, right? And I actually wonder if AI, this evolution that we go through, does not contribute to dehumanized leadership. Because what happens now is employees become a lot more dispensable. You know, I'll replace you. You can, you know, so I'm not focused on building you as a person because I'm staying up to trend with the latest evolvement on AI and things like that. And I can use some of the skills that's available, the tools available to do some of your work. Is that not a very real risk that we're facing? Yes, perfect. And also adding to that is people after COVID became much more emotional. And the, the leadership role evolved. Because if you look at, at the majority of the companies, the, the, the leader sometimes didn't even ask, how are you? But really, how are you? Right? Not just to be polite, but like really to understand how people are doing because their emotional state is going to impact in the work that they develop, right? So it's very important to understand. And one thing that I always say is that we all have toxic behaviors. Even if we are trained, if even if we are cautious, even if we have self-awareness, we have toxic behavior sometimes. And understanding that is key to have a team that is fulfilled, that's going to have more productivity, that's going to present better results. But not all companies are worried about that. Because what the system says, we need to earn money. And we, the majority of the companies, the leaders, the CEOs, they think that they need to focus on the money. But the switch that they need to do, the fixed mindset on the money and is what they need to switch to have the growth mindset that is about people. People implement ideas, people do the work and the results come through people. And that's where the money is going to come because one person, one employee that is not emotional, that doesn't develop emotional intelligence, he's not going to do a work that requires a lot of thinking, that requires strategic thinking because he doesn't have the emotional intelligence, he or she doesn't have the emotional intelligence for that. So we need to pay attention in those things and understand really what's important for leadership, what is really important for companies. We are asking the wrong questions. It's not about how do I make more money? The question should be, how do I use my best talents with their best skills to do a more optimized work. Then you will have the results that you need. If you have leaders looking at these right questions, it changes it all. No, I was saying some really nice things uh, when I was on mute of uh, this is an important global shift that we're seeing, especially with some of the, the new entrepreneurs we're interviewing as they're coming on to our show. With a few minutes left, should we get into the last round? Dion, put Antonella on the hot seat with some confessions. Well, I mean, I think Antonella's actually answered the confessions because you asked that question right at the beginning of the podcast. But <laughs> Maybe we can close with a different mindset because our audience now is global. Yeah. And from your perspective, Antonella, um, I remember three, four years ago when I first got to meet the Brazilian ecosystem and how they were hungry for entrepreneurship. 
but there wasn't a lot of resources and accessibilities and options for entrepreneurship. What are you seeing in the, you know, in the current evolution? What are you seeing in the next three to four years from a Brazilian entrepreneurship ecosystem? What are you excited about and where do you see the country evolve into from an entrepreneurship perspective? So Brazil is a huge country. It has so much diversity. We have so many people with great creativity and innovation skills. And I believe that now we are on the map. So a few things that have been going on in the country, especially after we had here in Brazil, in Porto Alegre, South Summit. It's a huge event that happens, that happens in Spain. It's now being hosted here in Brazil. Uh, now in May, we also had Web Summit that is hosted in Portugal and some into Brazil. So Brazil, it's becoming visible to investors, to people from other countries, because we see Europe, Israel, Asia developing, de uh, developing and evolving in their innovation ecosystems. And now they are coming to Brazil. So we have a lot of people looking towards our country and towards our market because it's a huge country, one of the, the biggest countries of the world, right? So inside, we are also developing a lot of accelerators, fostering programs to develop startups in the ecosystem. Now it has become for the status of each state in Brazil, is investing money in their innovation ecosystems. So we are seeing a flooring environment. It's a booming environment that is growing and it's becoming more mature. So that's very good for us internally and also for other countries that want to come to Brazil and want to invest in us. Antonella. I just want to say thank you very much for your time. It's been very informative. There's a lot of valuable insights that you've shared. And we just want to thank you really for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, I thank you for the invitation. It was great. For me, it was super fun. And that's one of the things that everything that we do should be about being fun, bringing the best of us. So today, you guys brought the best of me. So thank you so much. I leave uh, the podcast. I could stay here for many more hours talking to you guys because it has been amazing. Oh, you, you guys. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you so much for having these questions, powerful questions. That is what servant leaders do. So today you showed your servant leadership here in the podcast. Thank you, Antonella. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Satish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BloomX. For more Year One content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomx.io to join us on Discord.